This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studio for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. Are you slow dancing to this song? I mean, it's it's hard to dance and run the board at I the understand. same time. Okay, yeah. So I can only do this little bob and weave <laughs> okay. here. Look, I'm just thankful you're also you've worked running the board into your dancing routine. That's I'm proud of you. I'm a Renaissance man. That's uh, yeah, exactly. This is uh, I'm pretty sure Da Vinci did the same thing. He he would do his his slow dancing into running the board for a sports show. Uh, we're going to start the show tonight with the Arizona Cardinals because they did play their preseason opener on Friday against the Cowboys, and they got a 19-16 win, which means absolutely nothing because it's the preseason. Didn't um, didn't see Kyler Murray at all, which was interesting since they said that we would. Uh, we can get into that more. I mean, I don't really care if we see Kyler Murray in the preseason. It might not be the, the worst thing in the world if we don't see him. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in in. in Week three, just because I don't want him to go still another month before he plays a single snap of football and then they just start the season against Tennessee, but whatever. Not really upset that he didn't play against Dallas on Friday. They play the Chiefs this Friday, and so we'll get into that as well. But the guys that that I actually am watching in the preseason games are the rookies. Or the, a guy like Isaiah Simmons didn't get to play much last year, didn't have a preseason or a training camp last year to get ready. So he's, in some ways, got the experience level of a rookie as well. So, you know, that is Eno Benjamin, certainly. That is Rondale Moore. It's Zayvon Collins. It, it's Isaiah Simmons. It's Marco Wilson. And pretty much all those guys played pretty well. I mean, limited action, even for the rookies. Marco Wilson was maybe the most impressive of all of them. And you do have to remember, even though he was a somewhat later pick in the draft, fourth-round pick, 136 overall, he was a guy that had, in a lot of people's minds, like second-round talent. He just had that incident with the shoe in college. So uh, I don't know if that's the only reason he dropped, but uh, I remember the Cardinals, I remember doing the draft coverage on that Saturday with Jordan Bird, and I remember the Cardinals were pretty happy they were able to get him uh, with that 136 pick. So it's not inconceivable he becomes a legitimate player for them. Rondale Moore is, that guy's electrifying when he gets the football. He's fun. He got, what, he had three catches in the game. They found a couple other creative ways to give him the ball. He had two carries. Uh, he just, he's he's fun. I, I'll be honest, when they made that pick, I wasn't all that into it. Just because we've seen them kind of go with the smaller, faster receivers in the second round before. And it's not a knock on Rondale Moore, but just when they made the pick, it was like, all right, you know, honestly, at the time, I remember I was, uh, I was talking to uh, a couple people around here, and we were just like, I've really... They feel like they need a corner back at that point in the second round, but they they addressed that later with Marco Wilson. Uh, but in in the time since that pick, you know, you set aside previous picks that had nothing to do with Rondale Moore. It's not his fault. In the time since then, I'm I'm fully on board. Uh, this guy is just fun to watch. That he was the highlight of that game for me. Marco Wilson may have been the most encouraging performance, but Rondale Moore was the highlight just in terms of pure entertainment factor. You know, Benjamin, I mean, that's great just because he went to ASU, finally gets a chance to to run a little bit in an NFL game, even though it's a preseason game. And I thought he looked pretty well, five carries, 50 yards. Gets the only touchdown of the game for the Cardinals uh, as well. 
And honestly, this is going to sound crazy. I don't mind that Matt Prater made all of his field goals. He went four for four. They were you know, a couple, what, 40-plus yarders in the final two minutes of the game. Yeah, it's not the same amount of pressure when you're playing Dallas in the middle of August in a game that doesn't mean anything in the standings as it would be if this were you know, a Thanksgiving game against Dallas. But still, he had a 48-yarder with a minute 51 left to tie it and a 47-yarder as time expired to win it. He also had a 33-yarder and a 28-yarder. This is the most kicker talk I've ever done on this show. But based on last year when we had a kicker that missed everything seemingly between 40 and 49 yards, it was nice to see Matt Prater make two of those in the last minute 51. So we'll get into plenty of Cardinals reaction throughout the show. Right now, though, let's hit the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Okay, we'll start the rapid reaction with the Summer Suns who wrapped up Summer League play this afternoon. Game just ended about an hour ago. They lose to the Cavaliers 88-85. to We're going to have Kellen Olsen on here shortly to talk about what he saw from this team just out of the Summer League in general. But uh, they, they end up taking the loss today. Again, the, the win-loss doesn't really matter in this case. It's just more a matter of what some, some key players, really just Jalen Smith, uh, was able to do throughout the summer league, and he had four double doubles. So it's uh, that's that's encouraging in that sense. But I do want to get Kellen's thoughts on a what he saw from Jalen Smith. B if there's anybody else from this team that maybe we will see in the NBA down the line, whether it's with the Suns or somebody else. You know, just kind of who who else took the opportunity in Vegas to impress, and, uh, and maybe a little bit of uh, impressions to some of the other big names like Cade Cunningham around the summer league as well. But it's it's over now for the Suns. They finished two and three in Vegas. Different format now than it used to be where you would get into the tournament and then just get to keep playing. Every team just gets five games now. And so the Suns are done. Uh, The Diamondbacks off tonight in Philadelphia or at home rather against Philadelphia tomorrow starting a three game series. Gotta say was out there Saturday. I was out there all weekend for the games. The Tyler Gilbert no hitter on Saturday was uh, that was that was just awesome. Uh, That was what baseball is all about. The first Major League pitcher to throw a no-hitter in his first Major League start since 1953. And just the fourth ever. And the other two were in the 1800s. <laughs> that shows you how rare it was. And just randomly, I had uh, gotten to talk to him two days prior when he found out he was going to get the start. And I remember he was like pretty confident for a guy that's never made a Major League start. But not like not like overconfident. Like, okay, this guy's going to get lit up. Like He kind of had a sense after talking to him on... On, uh, on Thursday that he was going to have a decent performance. And then Tori Lovello said earlier in the day on Saturday, you know, he was starting in Reno, so this guy, he'll be able to go deep into this game if we need him to, but there's no way he thought that meant nine innings, no hits, and the shutout win. D-backs actually had one three in a row before yesterday. We'll get I want to get more to the no-hitter in a little bit, too, because just because in a season where there has been very little for baseball fans in the Valley to cheer about, that was a historic, memorable night uh, on Saturday night at Chase Field. And real quick with the Cardinals, they were able to reinstate James Conner, Darrell Daniels, Lecky Fotu, and Charles Washington off the COVID list. So they're, they're back. Those guys were all put on it on Friday. Uh, the guy that is not back is Andy Isabella. And I've talked to a couple former players about this, not, not Isabella specifically, and not looking to get into the politics of the a whole whether or not you should get vaccinated thing. 
but just the opportunity to get on the field that he's missing, and now he's it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to play against Kansas City on Friday either. Look, it's different for different players. If Kyler Murray didn't play last Friday, he doesn't play next Friday, he doesn't play the following Sunday, who cares? He knows he knows how to play in the NFL. You'd like to have your quarterback work in some new uh, – he's working with a new center, so you'd like to have him get a little bit of practice there just for timing and rhythm. But, but, but it doesn't ultimately matter. For a guy like Andy Isabella, and this is where talking to former players has sort of come into play, you know, they talk about the stuff they have to go through just to make sure they stay on the field. And uh, this is the second time – Isabella's had to deal with being on the COVID list. We've only been doing training camp for like three weeks. And the fact that he's going to miss that Chiefs game too, I can't imagine he goes into the season any higher than the number six receiver at this point. Not like Keyshawn Johnson had some monster game on Friday, but you have to feel like in whatever order, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is one, A.J. Green's two. And then after that, you have to feel like it's Christian Kirk, Rondale Moore, and now Keyshawn Johnson. And some of it is, yeah, Andy Isabella hasn't really produced a whole lot in his first two years in the league, but those are the guys that actually need the preseason games and the training camp, and he's got to do that stuff virtually, and he can't be in the games. That is, that's that's a tough blow for him. And, and we look, we knew he was going to miss last Friday's game, but you still have two more. Now he's going to miss this Friday's game too. That's that's a real tough spot when you're trying to make an impression on the coaching staff. All right, we come back. We'll get into the Cardinals' offense. Not just Kyler Murray, but how about some of these other guys that did impress on Friday nights? And we'll talk more about that Diamondbacks no-hitter as well because that was just that was magical. It was, it was baseball magic on Saturday night. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Well, football is officially back. Everybody, every sports fan in the Valley has that like internal clock that's been totally thrown off over the last year and a half where you're just kind of like, all right, it's football season. And this year it was just so distorted by the Suns, by the NBA season, starting later, going later, the Suns obviously playing more meaningful games later into the regular season and then continuing all the way through the playoffs to the NBA finals. That was like not even a month ago. And so now for football to be starting up, it, it kind of feels like, okay, maybe. You know, no, once, once there's a game, even though it was preseason, once there is that game, it's, it's here. And I got to say, one of the best parts about the preseason, maybe the best part about the preseason game on Friday, was Ron Wolfley doing the call on TV and people nationally getting to hear it. And I feel like 90% of football fans across the country just discovered Wolf. On Friday night. And if you were looking on Twitter, I mean, they, they love it. How can you not? So that was, that was probably honestly the highlight of the game. But uh, Eno Benjamin on the ground had a 38-yard run, had a touchdown, the only touchdown actually for the Cardinals. A big opportunity for the former ASU running back. Really, um, never get too high, never get too low um, is the mentality. Um, I've been there and I've done that before. And so it's just next play. Um, it's always next play mentality, um, even if it's a good play or if it's a bad play. Um, next play mentality. Yeah, I mentioned this when I was in with uh, Gambo last week. I'm sure I've said it before on this show, too. I went to ASU. I don't think every player that plays at ASU is going to be amazing in the NFL. I'm not saying he knows going to be amazing in the NFL, but he really is one of the few players I remember watching, a few skill position players I remember watching over the last, I'd say, like 10 years now at ASU, where it was like, this guy looks like he's built to play in the NFL. Like, just just the way he runs, 
Uh, I said this before, but like, you know, you're getting coaching from Herm Edwards, who's coached some great NFL running backs and Curtis Martin and Larry Johnson, some of these guys like that. Is it sort of a more of an NFL style offense in the sense that they would lean on on the running back, which during Eno's time was really just Eno. So he just he had the the makeup and the look of a guy that was going to play in the NFL, even if he was like just a change of pace back or whatever. And last year, he never got on the field once. So we'll see what happens. But it was uh, it, it was cool to see him get loose on Friday and take advantage of the opportunity. They also asked him if he notices a push from ASU fans that want him to play more. Honestly, no, not really. I don't hear about it much. Um, there is outside of football. Um, I don't like to talk about football too much. Um, so when I'm away from football, I'm with uh, people that I um, either playing video games, uh, watching Netflix series or anything like that. But um, away from all of football talk. Uh, that might be smart, actually. <laughs> if you're trying to make the NFL, you may not want to hear a ton of football talk. Everybody else, though, should be listening. Uh, they also asked him, do you remember the last time you actually got to run with a football? Because remember, he wasn't active on game days last year. I just remember it was against the team down south is what it was. Uh, it was a really good game. We we won, so I uh, can't get much better than that. Eno still refusing to say the name of the uh, college football team down south. That's... Uh, that's that's a Sun Devil through and through right there, but he potentially could have a role on this team. It's obviously going to be Chase Edmonds, number one, and it's going to be James Conner, number two. But I think we've all seen enough football to realize and to be aware that a lot of times you go through more than two running backs over the course of a season. If one of those guys is banged up for a couple weeks in the middle of the season, you maybe don't want to have to just lean on one for all the carries and all the plays. Look at San Francisco last year. They used about five running backs for a significant amount of time over the course of the season. So if you could be the number three back for the Cardinals, that means you're pretty much dressed and ready to go every Sunday. Number four means, okay, you're on the team, but you're kind of what Eno was last year, where it's like, hey, you get to tell people you're on the Cardinals, but you don't get to play. So that's that's going to be quite the, uh, the battle for that number three spot. But I thought Eno showed really well in Friday's game against the Cowboys. Again, it's preseason game. It's not like Dallas had all their best players out there. In fact, Dallas barely used any starters. The Cardinals barely used any starters. But if you're looking for reasons to watch the game, those are the kind of guys you're watching for. Can Eno Benjamin carve out a role on offense? Can Rondale Moore do against the Cowboys in a preseason game what we've seen him do a lot during uh, during training camp so far against other Cardinals players, they talked to Rondale Moore afterwards, the media did, and they asked him what the difference is early on, just his first impressions of jumping from college football to the NFL. I think all of it, honestly. Uh, guys are just a lot you know, bigger and, and stronger, but uh, uh, the speed wasn't, wasn't really a, a huge factor, I'd say. It was just you know, the size. Yeah, I don't feel like the speed's ever going to be a huge issue for Rondale Moore. I mean, the guy's... Even in the NFL, one of the fastest players on the field. Uh, he got a couple carries in this one, and we did see Cliff Kingsbury open the playbook a little bit more than... He, even Cliff's had such weird preseasons because he didn't have one last year. And then his first year as an NFL head coach, he was very hesitant to show anything during the preseason, which has its pros and cons. The con was that none of his players were really ready to run their actual offense when the season started. So he's opening it up a little bit more this preseason, like he said he would. And that included giving Rondale more of the ball on the ground. He was asked if he's uh, if he's ready for that. Yeah, I mean, 
uh, anytime I get the ball, I'm going to score a touchdown. So uh, for me, the ball in my hands is where I feel the most comfortable. And one more from Rondale Moore. He had such a great training camp leading up to that. I mean, he's, he's certainly been the most hyped player for the Cardinals heading into that game. And so they asked him about his confidence level heading into that one and now going forward against Kansas City. I think my confidence always remains the same, um, regardless of the situation or what's happened in the past or um, what will happen or whatever. It doesn't change for me. I come in with the same mindset um, and you know just work my tail off during the week and do everything I can to be prepared. Yeah, he was he was fun. He was a fun player to watch on Friday night. He had the three carries or three catches rather for twenty three yards, and then they gave him two carries for sixteen yards as well. If it's if it's DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green, Christian Kirk, Rondale Moore, if those are your top four receivers, I think you feel pretty good about that. And if Rondale Moore jumps ahead of Christian Kirk, or if it pushes Christian Kirk to be better, whatever. Kirk had a great catch. He only had one catch in the game, that thirty four yarder, but it was a really nice one handed catch. It's very possible the Cardinals receivers could be a strength for this team. It just depends how creative they can get without overcomplicating things. And and a guy like Rondell Moore potentially unlocks all of that. So Tyler Gilbert, one out away from a no-hitter. He gets his sign, goes into his full windup of the first pitch. And a line drive center field. Marte's there. He's got it. No hitter. Tyler Gilbert in his first major league start has no hit. The Padres, the Diamondbacks rush onto the field. They mob him. And what a night for the first time in the history of this ballpark. The Diamondbacks have had a pitcher throw a no hitter in a Diamondback uniform. Tyler Gilbert, 27 years old, a no hitter on this Saturday night, August 4th. Yeah, I got to say, I was at the game. I was I was actually doing the, the pre and post game, filling in for Mike Farron. And just good timing, I guess. Or lucky me that I get to be there for a no-hitter. That's the first no-hitter I've ever seen in person. Probably because it's the first Diamondbacks no-hitter ever at Chase Field. Just their third no-hitter ever overall. But the other two were uh, in Tampa and Atlanta. And it's been 11 years since the Edwin Jackson one. There was a buzz going around the press box, I want to say by about the seventh inning. And if you've been to a baseball game where there's a no-hitter going any time past like the fifth, you kind of get that feeling like, okay, people start to talk about it, but then normally it goes away in the sixth or whatever. Or sometimes, sometimes it's not really noticeable. Talked about this on, on Saturday on the show, but uh, you know Edwin Jackson, he ended up walking eight guys in his. So like once you got to the eighth and ninth inning of that one, you realized, hey, okay, there's a no-hitter on the line, but it didn't, it didn't feel like the one on Saturday, and there just hasn't been anything to cheer about at Diamondbacks games this season. It's been so rough for a variety of reasons, but Friday night they win the game with a walk-off Dalton Varsho home run in the bottom of the ninth, and then Saturday, Varsho's catching, and Tyler Gilbert throws the no-hitter, and and absolutely, there was a buzz going around that press box that I haven't really seen or experienced uh, not just this year, but really for the last couple years. And he got to the eighth inning. It's it's funny. Diamondbacks fans know Tori Lovello is very, very conscious of pitch counts. And, you know, he's he's not uh, he's not above pulling a pitcher that has a no-hitter going if they're pushing too many pitches. And so he said after the game, he was really probably the most tense person in the stadium because he's like, am I going to have to pull this kid? And he's not—he's uh, not going to get—he's not going to get a chance to go for a no hitter. 
Mike Fetters was actually the act, acting uh, pitching coach that day and, and told him, he's pulled him aside. He's like, look, man, <laughs> you only get one first start ever. This guy has a chance to make history. And, uh, and that certainly helped. But the other thing that helped was San Diego in the ninth, or rather the eighth inning, swinging at the first pitch, all three batters. So it was a three-pitch inning. And that really sort of opened the door for Gilbert to be able to go out there and finish the ninth. And, uh, and he did it. And I got to say, having never seen a no-hitter in person, they are crazy. The Padres fans that were there were cheering for that no-hitter by the end. Being on the field for the last inning was even crazier because it was two strikeouts and then a hit by Tommy Pham that wasn't a hit. Obviously, it was caught. There weren't any hits. But uh, for as, as great of a game as Tyler Gilbert pitched on Saturday, he walked Tommy Pham all three times he faced him until that last at bat. So everybody was kind of looking around like the one guy he can't get out is the guy he has to get out to end this game. And it was close off the bat of uh, of, of Pham, but uh, Cattell Marte making a nice, ultimately a fairly routine play in center field. But uh, yeah, that was that was cool. It's always cool, I'm sure, to see a no-hitter. Even seeing him on TV is cool. But to be at the game, certainly if you're a Diamondbacks fan that was there on, on Saturday night, you can attest to just the, the vibe in there was just, it was outstanding. And, uh, and just a cool story, too, when you consider, again, that he's the first player since 1953. What is that? 68 years off the top of my head. I think that's right. 68 years since the last time I just looked at Jeff for the math and you you gave me with your eyes, you look back as if to say, don't ask me a math question. Yeah, that was like a weird like flashback to <laughs> school when the teacher's like, oh, who wants to answer this? And they're scanning out and you're doing your best. You're not like to slouching down contact. in your chair and like trying to get out of the way. And I'm the only person in this room. So it was yeah. like. Very obvious. You're you're lucky. On my part. Lucky that I randomly got lucky and, and got the math right. But 60, oh, you did get it right. I, I think. The, look, the two of us think it's right. That's all that matters. Yeah, it's been 68 years since the 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 last time any major league pitcher threw a no hitter in his first major league start, and then before that, like I said, it was 1891 and 1892. So that's been even longer than uh, 68 years. So that was cool. It was uh, Friday night was cool with the Varsho walk off. Saturday night was was historic with the uh, the no hitter and um, yesterday not so much <laughs> not not as good Fernando Tatis Jr. came back and hit a bunch of home runs and the Padres won. All right, we come back. We talk some basketball. Kellen Olson will check in and put a bow on the NBA summer league season. The Suns are done. They finished two and three. We'll get into that next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety eight seven FM Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station and the home of the Suns. Home of the Suns. We're checking in with Suns nerd Kellen Olsen on the rundown. Yeah, we are probably for the last time this season, although next season starts in like four hours. Kellen Olsen joining us now on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. The Summer Suns, their season wrapped up this afternoon with an 88-85 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kellen, first of all, how rude of me. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. How about you? I'm I'm doing good. What uh what stood out to you about this team throughout these five games? I, I think their ability to um I don't know if this is too big picture for summer league and some people might roll their eyes at me, but I was genuinely impressed by seeing Suns traits come out in this team by the by the end of their play. In the first two games they just look like a team trying to get acclimated to each other and, and a team that was like really lacking in talent. But you, you saw like the vision for how the roster was constructed by the end of it, which is like all of these guys 
looks like guys who want to play the Suns way, which is uh, selfless was the word that Brian Randall described, the assistant coach of the Suns, who is the head coach of the Summer League team. That's the word that he chose to describe the way the play, the way the Suns play. And I think that I was not alone and some Suns fans watching the game saw a team that kind of resembled last year's just in terms of their style, the way the ball was starting to move a bit more, the way players were moving around the court, just how defense was translating to offense. It, to me, that was like the thing. And, and I think if you're asking why that matters or the significance of it, I just think it's it's really actually quite significant and just shows the amount of progress that this team has made since general manager James Jones and head coach Monty Williams got together. Because in two years, they've established a clear, identifiable style of play to the team. Three years ago, Luke, we didn't even know what the style of play was the Suns were trying to achieve five years ago, seven years ago. like You can figure out exactly what they were trying to do, basically, and now it's clear, clear as day. And it was cool to see it come out of the players there while they were there. Uh, Jalen Smith specifically, I mean that was that was the guy everybody had their their eyes on to uh, to start this. And I, he didn't play today, but in general, what did you see from him? So there are a couple of ways to evaluate summer league for for a player in his position, which is that he's a lottery pick coming into his second year. And and the bottom line is, and just to be blunt about it, the expectation for a guy in that position if he's playing in summer league, he should dominate and he should look like he shouldn't even be playing there. It should, he should be very he should stand out in a multitude of ways. I think that some guys that we saw do that early on were Sadiq Bay in Detroit. I think Tyrese Maxey in Philly was another one. The two New York guys, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, I think that they were there. Two Memphis's Desmond Bain. I don't know if I exactly got there with Jalen Smith. I think that he clearly stood out in the game and was the guy who you saw in the game who was like, this is the first-round pick on the floor right now, which is how long he was and how he was moving around the court and just his skill set. But with that being said, I thought that there were a handful of moments for him throughout these games where he was just making the type of young player mistakes that, again, he's he's young, he's in his second season, but you would expect some of those to be out of his system by now a year into his NBA career. And, again, he didn't play. We're going off of G League play and Summer League play for him so far. But those types of, like, mistakes were still consistent, and I just think that, he did not look like the guy who has been playing as NBA players for a full year. There's just a clear difference that you see. And, of course, like the painful thing is for those guys I mentioned, uh, Luke, they passed on for Jalen. So <laughs> it, that, that's, that's the unfortunate part of, of that statement. But with that being said, it, as far as I can go is saying that it was not a clear indicator that he is absolutely ready for a role next year, right? Like if he would have played like one of those four or five guys I mentioned, I think you're looking at it and saying, oh, they got to find him minutes next year. But that was not the case, and it just looks like there's still some more development and seasoning that needs to come with him. Talking to Kellen Olsen on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line, Phoenix Suns guru, Kellen Olsen. I forgot your, uh, your official title there, Kellen. Um, as far as Jalen Smith, like what is what is the best case? What is the ideal scenario in your mind if if he does take that next step this year? How would you like to see the Suns, or how do they hope to be able to use him just this upcoming season? Right, that's what I talked about uh, with my co-host Kevin Zerman on the Empire of the Suns podcast, and we kind of debated with each other for a bit. They drafted Jalen Smith, and uh, for me. And a lot of people who watched him pre-draft, you were looking at a guy who was a center in this league. Now, he's slightly undersized at 6'10", but he's got longer arms. He's a little bit skinny, so he might struggle there. But the thing is, you're looking at a stretch five. And the biggest appeal of his entire skill set and outlook was his shooting and just how you could even use him off of motion. The catch-and-shoot motion looked great. The numbers were pretty encouraging for where he started, which was not being much of a three-point shooter. 
and he's just going to continue to get better in that regard. But the Suns saw a guy who was who's really mobile and saw just the way that he showed a, a potential, I guess, in, in that regard and wanted to turn him into a, a different position, which is play him as more of a power forward. The way that Monty described it was a more athletic Dario Sarge, and he himself said it, like we're, we're teaching him a new position. So instead of him being a five who plays like a little bit of four every now and then, they kind of see him as more of a four, kind of a guy who does a little bit of ball handling, a lot more switching defensively, that kind of thing, a lot more just versatile defensively. And and that's where you wonder if, if maybe they should turn back on that. Should they just look at him more strictly as a five? And that was part of what was um, tough to figure out with the picking him at 10. Yeah, I mean, it was high for him, whatever you want to say, but this happened with Cam Johnson too. So again, it, it can change, but it's a lot more different in this situation because you know DeAndre Hayden's going to play, what, 34 minutes a game every night no matter what. So if you play him as only a center, he's going to max out at, at 20 minutes maybe. Like maybe he gets a couple at the four. And if you're using a lottery pick on that spot, then that's just not the right way to use value. And then the James Jones explained that night, and they've talked about this season that they're like developing his ball handling. He's working on being more of a four and a five. And he played a lot of four in Vegas. And I think that is the big question or, or moment you kind of find yourself at right now is like, do you not, not necessarily bail on developing that, but more focus on him and look at him as more of just a five as opposed to a four. And, and that's the interesting choice that they have in front of them because you don't want to just commit to him entirely being a four, having not work out and then he's not a quality NBA or not an NBA player at all. And I, I think he definitely can be as a five, but this, this um, vision that they have for what he could be in the future, that's where you might pause a bit and wonder uh, if if they turn back or if they don't. I mean, you want to commit to it all the way through, right? And there's got to be a moment where they make that declaration, and maybe it's too early right now, but but we'll see further along in his in his development because, again, it's it's early. I feel like two seasons in is when we can start talking about stuff like this, but we can at least start the discussion, and, and that's kind of where it's at right now. Well, it's obviously tough to, to crack this roster now, too. I mean, they're pretty well set outside of maybe Jalen Smith, but the other guys that, that showed up on the Sun Summer League team, it's just five games. I get it. It's not, you know, the competition is mixed, but was there anybody that stood out to you as, as a guy that, hey, maybe we'll see this guy on the Suns in a couple of years or we'll see him playing somewhere else in the NBA in a couple of years? Yeah, there were two guys, and what, the fascinating thing about their roster, Luke, is that they did something that I personally can't remember seeing on any Summer League roster, is that it included no one from the 2021 draft class. They grabbed a handful of guys who were playing overseas last year or guys like Tyshawn and Jalen who were on their roster drafted last year or signed last year from that draft class. So in terms of like long-term potential, there aren't that many guys like that because, again, they got grabbed mostly guys in their mid to late 20s. But Kyle Alexander out of Tennessee is a guy who was on a two-way with Miami two years ago, and then Michael Frazier II is a guard um, out of Florida, who was on Houston on a two-way two years ago as well. Uh, and the interesting thing about where the Suns roster stands right now with those two guys in mind is they have an open two-way spot. And, look, it's just you might as well use it if it's sitting there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you wonder uh, you, you should use it. <laughs> I think there's no other way to say it, right? Uh, you're not really uh, losing anything. I mean, money, I guess, paying the guys. But you could have a real chance of developing a guy and using that spot. And the Suns haven't used both of those spots in the past, so I wonder if that's going to continue to be a theme. But Alexander is an undersized five who, who doesn't move that well in some senses, but he's also pretty explosive, really long. And I think the thing we saw in all those games is that he has a nose for the ball on both ends. And I think that the way that he played today, 
I thought that that was the best performance of any player on their summer league roster in any game, and including Jalen Smith. He had 18, 14, and three blocks. He was on 8 of 12 shooting. I thought that he was a presence really defending the rim, and he looked great. Michael Frazier second comes out of Florida as a sharpshooter, and, and that's his main uh, skill is his shooting. And I think the thing that surprised me watching him is that he's pretty quick. Um, as a two-guard, he's a bit undersized, but he's quick and can move his feet defensively, can drive a bit offensively. And, and I mentioned the skills in there, Luke. That's what the fascinating thing is about talking about these guys. And you know this like with any other sport, right, like hockey, football, baseball. These guys are so close to being NBA professional players on that level, right, at the NBA level. But they're just missing that thing or two, or there's a thing or two kind of holding them back. But that's what you get with this two-way, right? You bring them in on a two-way, develop them for another year, and see if they turn into anything. It looks like Tyshawn Alexander might be turning into something for them. And those are two guys that stick out to me where they could use that spot. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Kellen, last one for you, just around the summer league. I mean, obviously, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, some of those guys. Does anybody stand out to you of like, okay, yeah, this guy, even if it's one of those two, I mean, they're coming in with such high expectations, but any anything really jump out at you around the rest of the league? I think it's just how every top 10, uh, a majority of the guys picked in the top 10 have landed in, I, I'll use the word interesting, Luke, where I think that their situation could swing them in one direction or the other, and I think we've learned that over the sun. Like, I mean, does Dragon Bender turn into an NBA player on 29 other NBA teams? Probably not, but situation really does matter and factor into it for sure. You look in Detroit, and they're going to have to figure out how to balance, okay, how much do we want Cade Cunningham on the ball, which they should a lot, but he also has a lot of value as an off-ball shooter and an off-ball decision-maker. Like we see in Phoenix, how you kick it to a guy in a corner, and that guy being able to make the right decision every time really has a factor, and you can put Cade in that position, but then you're not getting as much value out of him. In Cleveland, I'm really interested to see. I thought Evan Mobley was the best prospect in this draft. He lands next to Jared Allen and and is going to play some four as opposed to five, where Jared Allen will be. They just signed him to a five-year, $100 million deal, too, so he's not going anywhere anytime soon. But to bring up Bender and Chris again, Luke, we spent so much time talking about can those guys play together. I think you just worry about them being NBA players in the first place. That's not where you're going to worry with Mobley, but I do wonder if you're stagnating his development a bit, not playing what is obviously his most natural position, which is center. Kuminga and Golden State is fascinating. Like, Can he just fit in on that team by doing the right things and hustling? And can he sort of already this young in his career, at the start of his career, change his play style for more of a shoot-first guy and just fill in the gaps, slash, defend, rebound, hustle? Can he just change his role already to being one of those guys? Because if he can, he'll be one of the best players in this class. I mean, Orlando has Jalen Suggs with Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz on their team. So there's a matter of who gets the ball and who gets to handle it. Jalen Suggs should, but we'll see. So I think there's going to be a lot of like fluctuation and variation with this class just based on where guys landed in general. It's pretty interesting. Kellen Olson, great stuff as always, man. Thank you for the time. Uh, are you aware training camp starts in six weeks? Six weeks, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and they still have stuff that they could do with rookie extensions and stuff. So I, I'd like to think that this is the start of my break, but we'll see what they're up to. Yeah. <laughs> you know better than that. All right, Kellen, thanks a lot. Have a good night. Thanks, man. That's Kellen Olson. Make sure you read all his stuff. And, yes, listen to the Empire of the Suns podcast. But, uh, but yeah, read all his stuff on ArizonaSports.com. Thanks to him for joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Cadillac Tempe. Experience the difference at ColterCadillacTempe.com. When we come back, the NFL season is just a little bit before NBA training camp. Not much. It's right around the corner. We'll get into some... Uh, yeah, just go around the league when we come back, and uh, we'll get back into the Cardinals, too. The defense, maybe the one guy that stood out more than anybody on Friday night. We'll talk about him as well. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM.
Arizona Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you as we uh, kind of go around the NFL real quick. Thanks to Kellen Olsen for joining us last segment, putting a bow on the Summer Suns. And that wasn't an exaggeration. I know in the past I may have exaggerated at some point on the show. Training camp starts basically six weeks from tomorrow for the NBA. So if you're missing the Suns after that uh, impressive run to the NBA Finals, it's really not that far away. And some of those weeks are NFL weeks. Those don't even count. Those are like... Those are like holiday shopping weeks. So basically what I'm saying is the NBA season starts in like a couple hours. Uh, To the NFL, we'll start in New England with the Patriots, who have a bit of a quarterback, not controversy, but battle on their hands, which is the way Bill Belichick wanted it. We've got Cam Newton, who was good at times last year. Remember, he had to miss some time dealing with COVID. He just kind of was never the same after that. So they went out and drafted Mac Jones. Bill Belichick, shockingly, has been pretty quiet on who he wants to uh, to have starting in week one, and that's not going to change. But it, by all accounts, it sounds like Mac Jones has been pretty impressive, and we've seen one preseason game where he played a little bit. So that's that's a quarterback battle to watch for sure. Mac Jones was, was a, another one of those first-round quarterbacks that – isn't getting the hype of Trevor Lawrence because he's not Trevor Lawrence, and he's not getting the hype of Zach Wilson because Zach Wilson's on the Jets, and Jets fans always believe whatever quarterback they have is, is going to be the best in NFL history and, until they see him play. And then uh, Justin Fields looks good for the Bears in one preseason game, and honestly, I don't know how Justin Fields dropped to where the Bears took him, so they got good value there either way. But <laughs> if a Bears quarterback is playing well, you're never going to hear the end of that. So... Mac Jones is kind of lost in the uh, the shuffle right now, but the Patriots are pretty happy with him. So that is a uh, that's certainly a quarterback battle to keep an eye on. Deshaun Watson in Houston is now not practicing. Last week he practiced four times. The week before that he didn't really practice. The week before that he did. None of us know what the Texans are going to do, and I understand there's some legal ramifications here. And very possibly he just will be suspended and not allowed to play, which, <laughs> depending what uh, what happened, he maybe shouldn't be allowed to play. We don't know that yet, though. The Texans don't seem to know what they're doing either. I, I, I mean, when's the last time we went into a season knowing with almost 100% certainty who the worst team in the league was going to be? And I know, like you can you can look back and say, well, Jacksonville went one and fifteen, and we all thought they were going to be bad. Yeah, we all thought they were going to be bad, but there were other teams we thought were going to be bad. A lot of people thought the Jets were going to be the worst team last year. There's always a couple teams, but I'm looking at this season like who who's going to challenge the Texans for that number one overall pick? I I, I don't see anybody. I really I don't. I mean, I, I understand teams will have injuries. A couple teams will drop down there. But the truly bad teams, the Jacksonvilles and the Jets, those teams got their quarterbacks that they hope will be their uh, their franchise quarterbacks. I mean, the Jets are going to be better probably just by virtue of making a coaching change. Jacksonville, we'll see if Urban Meyer can coach at the NFL level, but they brought in some weapons. They already had some weapons for Trevor Lawrence as well. They've got two pretty decent running backs and Travis Etienne and James Robinson. Like that's That's a team that should at least be fun to watch. Whereas Houston is just like, they were already bad. All their good players are on the Cardinals now. The only thing they had going for them was Deshaun Watson until 
everything came out about Deshaun Watson this offseason. But even before then, I mean, just just looking at it strictly from the football perspective, he wanted out, and now they want to trade him, and they can't, and he's practicing some days, and not they they just don't have anything. Like that team is going to be lucky to win two games this season. And uh, Atlanta Falcons, first team in the NFL to reach the one hundred percent vaccination rate. That's I don't know if I, if the Falcons would have been my first guess, but uh, but they are there. Hopefully that's something we will have to keep talking about over the course of the season, but it's uh, it's a story right now. And uh, Atlanta, the first team to get there. Okay, back to the Cardinals. And on the defensive side of the football, all eyes on Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons in the middle of that defense. Not just on Friday night, but I mean, those guys are going to supposed to be your starters going forward. Jordan Hicks was out there and played a decent amount, and uh, and those guys have talked about you know they they've seen him getting a lot of reps in practice too, almost as a third inside linebacker. We actually heard from Vance Joseph last week. I think it was when he was on with Doug and Wolf. He said, you know, if Jordan Hicks is going to play well, if he's going to be one of the best eleven defensive players, I'll find a way to get him out there. There's absolutely a scenario where they start Zayvon Collins because they have basically painted themselves into a corner that they have to start Zayvon Collins, although he didn't look bad on Friday either. I mean, he was a first-round pick. He may actually just be good. They start Isaiah Simmons, but Jordan Hicks still plays a good amount of football. And Vance Joseph, when he said that last week, it makes a little more sense when you look at their schedule and you realize, okay, in week one, they're going to face Derrick Henry and the Titans. In week two, they're going to face Dalvin Cook and the Vikings. Might not be the worst thing in the world to have three inside linebackers out there. Marco Wilson, though, was the guy who was especially impressive, I thought, on the Cardinals' defense on Friday night, and uh, they asked him about it afterwards. Uh, I feel like I lean on all the uh, the vet um, defensive backs equally, trying to get some knowledge from them. But one thing that's really been helpful, I talked to DeAndre Hopkins, you know, because he goes he goes against some of the greatest guys in the league at my position. So I, I ask him for for tips every now and then. That's interesting. I mean, if you're going to go talk to a receiver to get insight on on your position covering receivers, DeAndre Hopkins has been one of the best in the NFL for basically a decade now. I just like that he's going up to DeAndre Hopkins and a- asking him, and then Hopkins is answering. Like, use your resources. If you're going to be a rookie. You're going to come in. You're going to be a fourth-round pick. That probably could have been a second or a third-round pick under different circumstances. But if you're going to be in that position, yeah, go out there and, and, and use your resources. DeAndre Hopkins is a pretty good resource to have. They also asked Marco Wilson if he had uh, just one of those welcome to the NFL moments in that game on Friday. Not tonight exactly, but just overall through camp and everything. I'll probably just say the timing um, and the placements of of how quarterbacks, you know, uh, function back there. It's a lot more advanced than college. And also his matchup with C.D. Lamb. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, in the SEC, you go against uh, the greatest competition every week. So, you know, being able to go against a guy uh, that caliber is just, you know, it's something that I'm used to, and just you got to play calm and and do what you you know to do. If you start to if you rank the rookies in terms of who's most important to this team's success, or who who could maybe most positively impact this team, let's put it that way. So realistically, you got Zayvon Collins, you've got Rondale Moore, 
and you've got Marco Wilson. Not that nobody else could could do anything, but I mean the other guys are are pretty well buried on the depth chart. Marco Wilson is two, but if he if he is an NFL caliber corner in year one, even if it takes a few weeks, if he's that guy. And I'm not asking him to go out there and be a shutdown corner. I'm not asking him to be Patrick Peterson in his prime. But I'm asking him in this scenario to be like a legitimate NFL corner. He's out there on the field and other teams aren't picking on him. You know, maybe his first couple games because he's a rookie. But you know, you know what I'm saying. If he's that guy at any point this season, and then is that guy going forward too, you actually feel pretty good about the secondary. Because when we talk about the secondary having issues, it's not really the safeties. It's just the corners. Let's be honest. In terms of question marks, it's really just the corners. And the biggest issue at the cornerback position is what happens if Malcolm Butler gets hurt or Byron Murphy or Robert Alford, who has gotten hurt each of his first two seasons with the Cardinals to the point where he hasn't played. And you know, sometimes you'll get the pushback of like, well, they really like what Murphy's doing. They can use all three of them on the field at the same time. Awesome. But that doesn't solve the problem of depth. In fact, that makes it worse. Because if you're using all three of them, then if any of them get hurt, you are really screwed. At least if you're only using two of them, in theory. If one of them gets hurt, you can kind of... It's, I mean, they're different positions within the cornerback position, but at least you have somebody else you could slide in there. But conventional wisdom all along has been... They've got Malcolm Butler, they've got Byron Murphy, and they've got Robert Alford. And then after that, there's just no experience. If Marco Wilson is capable of stepping in, and I'm just talking about a couple plays where he flashed on Friday night, but I'm also talking about a guy that put together a pretty good college resume. If he's able to step in and, and be a contributor for this team, then you don't feel so bad or so nervous about the uh, the depth at the cornerback position. So that was that was good to see on Friday night. Obviously, you're going to have to see it again this Friday against the Chiefs and then the following Saturday and, and certainly throughout the season if he gets on the field as well. But that was a good start for Marco Wilson. Uh, maybe not the most important, I guess, to finish that that conversation. Of the rookies, Zayvon Collins is the most important to this team's success. If Marco Wilson looks like a rookie in year one, okay, well, maybe that, that guy never gets on the field anyway or doesn't get on there very much. Even if Rondale Moore looks like a rookie in year one, I don't think he's going to, but even if he does... All right, I mean, you've got other receivers. If Zayvon Collins looks like a rookie in year one, I don't know what you're going to do because that's the heart of your defense, and that's the guy calling all the plays for your defense. But he he looked solid on Friday uh, as well. And remember, he is number one, or not number one, but a first-round pick, so he should be uh, should be pretty solid. Come back. Hour number two of the show begins with the reload next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Akjin Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. It is the Reload. We'll try and get you caught up on everything going on today. We'll start with the Summer Suns, who lost to the Summer Cavs. I don't know. What we call it. Summer Suns sounds good for Phoenix, but it doesn't really work for anybody else, does it? No, well, they they lost to Cleveland. I mean, <laughs> Cleveland kind of looks like a summer league team during the regular season anyway, so of course Cleveland would be good at summer league basketball. Cavs win it by a final of 88-85 today, so the Suns finish summer league play in Vegas at 2-3. and three. Jalen Smith didn't play today, but he was piling up the double-doubles throughout the, uh, throughout the first four games. You know, for what it's worth, when we talked to Kellen Olsen, 
last segment. You'll be able to find that on ArizonaSports.com if you missed it. But uh, Kellen kind of put a bow on the, the summer league season for the Suns and gave us a couple different ways to look at what Jalen Smith did. And you know, on the one hand, you can look and say, okay, yeah, he looks, you know, looked like probably their best player for the four games that he was out there. But did he look like a top 10 pick going into year two? No, he wasn't dominant by any means. There have been much more dominant players across the summer league. I mean, guys that were just drafted a few weeks ago that have looked more dominant. Granted, some of them are Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green, who were the top two picks in the draft. They should be dominant. But Jalen Smith was a top 10 pick. So, again, I encourage you to go back and listen to Kellen. Always listen to Kellen when it comes to Sun stuff. But uh, but that's an interesting way to to go about it. There are different ways to look at it. If you look at him and if you look at Jalen Smith and you're like, I'm expecting a guy to step in and he's had a year and he was a top 10 pick, he's going to be amazing this season. Maybe not. Probably not, honestly. They're not asking him to be amazing, though. So is he a guy that could step in and play 15 minutes a night? Give you that? 16, maybe 17? And and be effective when he's out there? Given what you're asking him to do? Yeah, maybe, but probably we're not going to know that until the season starts. I mean, there, there was nothing he did that was dominant over the course of these games. And you know, for the most part, the other players probably not going to see time playing for the Suns anytime soon. A um, couple guys, you know, did play well. Kyle Alexander among them. But uh, but we'll see if that translates to any sort of future with the Suns or you know, somebody else down the line. We'll have to, uh, to wait on that one. To football, the Arizona Cardinals got the win over Dallas on Friday night. That game should be featured on Hard Knocks tomorrow. Since they're doing a hard knocks on the Cowboys, which tangent here, as we talked about last week when Jesse Morrison was in here, and we gave uh, a top five of teams we'd rather see on hard knocks this year just because they had more interesting storylines. I got to say, as always, and this is not a shock to me, episode one last week, pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of football players on football teams and HBO is great at going through and finding the ones with the most personality and on the Cowboys. It's really their best players. They have the most personalities. Maybe this works out better for Hard Knocks. Generally, it's you know they find a couple rookies that are trying to to make the team, or you find like you know a crazy vet that's been in the league for 15 years and he's just he's like the the wild guy in the locker room or around the the city that just does silly stuff. But uh, with the Cowboys, it really does seem like they're going to focus just on Dak and Ezekiel Elliott. And so far, episode one was pretty good. So um, even if you don't care about the Cowboys, though. The, uh, the Cardinals will be at least peripherally on the show this week because they defeated the Cowboys 19-16. A last-second field goal by Matt Prater that was in that 40-49 to 49 yard range. So that should make you smile if you're a Cardinals fan just that you have a kicker that's making those kicks. Hit the 48-yarder there, hit a 47-yarder with uh, under two minutes to go as well. Prater goes four for four. Did not see Kyler Murray at all. I know some people are up in arms about that, mainly because Cliff Kingsbury said we were going to see Kyler Murray a week ago, but uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. Diamondbacks off tonight in the middle of a seven-game homestand. They will host the Philadelphia Phillies. Bryce Harper starting for uh, three of them tomorrow. Play tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and then Thursday afternoon before they head out on the road. It has been a rough season for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's uh, and we'll need a breaking news sounder for that one. It would have been kind of funny though if we had it, but um, they did have a, a highlight, a historic moment 
on Saturday night when Tyler Gilbert tossed the no-hitter. Any no-hitter is going to be historic and memorable. Nobody can take this one away from him like they did with Madison Bumgarner earlier in the year because it was only a seven-inning no-hitter. This one actually counts in the record books. And in fact, it goes right near the top of the record books because it's the first Diamondbacks no-hitter at home ever. That's the first time, if you were there on Saturday night, you got to see a Diamondback throw a no-hitter at Chase Field. That's the only time it's ever happened. The other two were Randy Johnson's perfect game, but that was in Atlanta. And and Edwin Jackson had the no-hitter, but that was in Tampa. So to have that happen at Chase Field was pretty cool on Saturday night. But the fact that it was Tyler Gilbert's first ever Major League start just takes it to a whole new level because now you are on that short list with guys like Bumpus Jones, guys that uh, threw their their no-hitter in their first ever start back in the 1800s, and then there was one in 1953 as well. So he becomes just the fourth Major Leaguer to ever throw a no-hitter in his first start. And there were a couple, I mean, there was some hard hit balls. San Diego was hitting the ball hard off him, especially early in the game. And he also walked the first batter. It was Tommy Pham. And then he walked him two more times, but that was the only guy that was getting on base. He walked Pham three times, got everybody else out, and then very fitting. Sometimes baseball, maybe more so than any other sport, is uh, is cyclical. Tommy Pham's the guy he had to face with two outs in the ninth to get the no-hitter, and he gets him to line out to Cattell Marte. Just a really cool scene. Like I said before, there was a, there was a buzz around the building by about the seventh inning that there just hasn't been at Chase Field this year or last year. I mean, there was I think, fans last year. You couldn't have fans. But uh, but even for the last couple of years, there hasn't been a buzz like that. And there were Padres fans there. But by the time we got to the ninth inning and there was one out and then two outs, and he got them quick, they were cheering for the no-hitter too. There's, there's a point where unless it's like a playoff game, you just want to see a no-hitter in person. I had never seen one in person until Saturday. So that was cool, and it was cool in the in the role I was playing on Saturday that I got to be on the field for it too. That was, that was especially memorable for me. But if you were at that game, it was uh, pretty pretty historic and uh, one of the few bright spots for the D-backs this season, but it was a very bright one following the uh, the walk-off home run by Dalton Varsho on Friday night. And it was, I'll tell you, this stat was, was pretty amazing too. Varsho was catching on Saturday and with Gilbert making his first Major League start, the experience between the, the catcher and the pitcher in that game was 27 games. Like Varsho, only counting Varsho's games at catcher. That's the third fewest for a major league no-hitter since 1900. So, like, there was legitimately some history at Chase Field on Saturday night. They knocked off the Padres 7-0. They win three out of four in the series. Back to the Cardinals. James Conner, Darrell Daniels, Lecky Fotu, and Charles Washington all off the COVID list. So they are good to go again. Andy Isabella not off the COVID list. And for Andy Isabella... This is getting tough now because he's going to miss the game on Friday against the Chiefs. So just kind of think through all this for a second. There are not four preseason games anymore. There are only three. For the most part, you don't even need three. For a guy like Andy Isabella, he needs all three. He was probably the fifth receiver coming into camp, maybe sixth. Pretty clearly the sixth right now because he's not even able to, to, to be involved in training camp on the field. He can do stuff virtually, but it's not, not the same. Uh, and now he's going to miss at least the first two of three preseason games as well. So you figure Keyshawn Johnson has jumped him for the number five receiver. Probably not going to carry more than six. 
I don't think Larry Fitzgerald's coming back, but I at least feel obligated to mention his name here. If he were to come back, then I'm not sure Andy Isabella's making the team. Or, you know, if some other team drops a receiver and the Cardinals are like, oh, we've actually had our eye on this guy for a while, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll scoop him up. Well, I mean, Andy Isabella's going to be the odd man out because he can't get on the field. So I would still think at this moment he'll make the team as the sixth receiver. I don't know if he's going to get any playing time. But, uh, I mean, you, you are... You want to be on the field as much as you can if you are a fringe player, and right now Andy Isabella is certainly a fringe player. So that's uh, that is it's tough luck for him in a in an off season he really needed. All right, we'll come back. I want to continue with the Cardinals, Kyler Murray? We didn't see him on Friday. Do you want to see him at all this preseason? That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety eight seven FM Arizona Sports Station. All right, Cliff Kingsbury doesn't often tell us a whole lot with his answers. I've said in the past he would be good at politics because he's good at not necessarily saying anything when he's asked a question. But last week he was asked if Kyler Murray was going to play at all in the preseason game this past Friday, and he was like, yeah, I would expect so. I'm paraphrasing, but it really only was like a sentence. He was very direct with the, yeah, I would expect so. And then he didn't play. And there's a lot of questions as to when that decision was made, uh, whether it's a big deal or not. I personally don't mind seeing Colt McCoy get some run out there. He was 6-for-7 for 69 yards. I don't want to see Colt McCoy during the regular season. Nothing against him. Seems like a good dude. I don't want to see him play football this year. But if Kyler Murray has to miss a few series or a couple games, I'd like the backup quarterback ready to go this year. And Colt McCoy has played 43 NFL games. And uh, I don't mind him getting reps against, I mean, Dallas really didn't have any other first-teamers out there, or very many of them. But I don't mind seeing Colt McCoy get some reps. I don't really care that Kyler Murray didn't play. I wouldn't play him this Friday either. I might play him in the third game, just because, and I wouldn't play him much, but I'm basically treating that third preseason game like a typical third preseason game and then there just isn't a fourth one that's the difference but I'm, I'm not moving anything back because of that I'm just gonna say okay whatever we're gonna play like three preseason games put the starters out there for a decent chunk of the first half and then uh, I mean you've, you've got two weeks off after that so I don't know that I want to go into September 12th week one against Tennessee without Kyler having played at all just because hey, he's working with a new center and Rodney Hudson I'd like to see him throw some passes to Rondale Moore and A.J. Green, some of these other new weapons he has out there. Uh, ideally, James Conner in the backfield. Just a couple. A couple series. I don't need to see a ton from Kyler Murray. We know he can play. It's not like if he can't work on stuff in the preseason games that he's not working on anything. Obviously, having training camp pretty much every day. But it was weird that Kingsbury did say he was going to play, and then he didn't. And that sparked a lot of... Uh, Controversy is too big of a word, too strong of a word. Not too big; it's only a couple syllables, but uh, but too too strong of a word. It's it's the preseason, but I don't know, just maybe some skepticism or some questions of like, okay, wait, if if the coach says he's going to play, and then he doesn't play. Is the coach being sort of told what to do? And if that's the case, all right, how much power does your coach have, or are we just reading too much into it because it's a preseason decision? And who ultimately cares? There's definitely a world. Where Cliff was like, yeah, okay, on Monday, we'll probably play him. And then kind of went through the week, and he's like, yeah, he looks fine, and we've got, we've still got a month 
before the first regular season game. What's the point? Honestly, that second part of that is the category I fall into. What is really the point of playing Kyler Murray on August 13th when your first regular season game isn't until September 12th? But it was just strange that he would come out and say, oh yeah, he's going to play because you know how Cliff is. You ask him a question and he answers a different question. He's good at this. It's a skill that not every coach has. It's it's frustrating sometimes, but he, a lot of times he's he's very skilled at uh, at dodging questions if he doesn't want to answer them. That one he answered, plain as day, and then he didn't play. So it's like, all right, was he overruled? I mean, he's the head coach. He should be able to overrule anybody when it comes to who to play. But uh, ultimately, like I said, I mean, it's probably better that Kyler didn't play anyway. And I heard Burns and Gambo talking about this earlier. Colt McCoy took a hit to the head. And if that's Kyler Murray and he takes a hit to the head in a meaningless preseason game and he like gets hurt, I mean, everybody's freaking out and, and calling the coach stupid for playing him. So sometimes you can't win or lose as the coach. At the end of the day, I'm not playing my starting quarterback until the third preseason game and I'm just playing him a few series, get him in rhythm with my new center. Very good center, obviously, but he hasn't played with Kyler Murray before, not in a game situation. I want to get him in rhythm with Rondale Moore and A.J. Green because... You're asking A.J. Green to be your number two receiver. And Rondale Moore potentially could really unlock this offense. So I just want to see him get a few series. But a month out before the first regular season game, it doesn't, no, I don't don't care. I don't think Kyler Murray necessarily uh, cares either. So at at that point, it's like, all right, it's it's not that big of a deal he didn't play. All right, some of the quarterbacks who did play, now we've had all these teams get a game in, and you've got some rookies, certainly, to, to keep an eye on. This was uh, Chris Fowler talking about Trey Lance, his first game with the 49ers. You saw the deep ball, and that's what they like, and that's what Lance has had as a separator in his back pocket. I'm told he's thrown that deep ball well all camp, probably better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo is still clearly the favorite right now. He's had a pretty good camp, and they want to bring Lance along according to their plan, but you didn't see him run much last night. That's probably because they didn't want to get him hurt, but in camp, they've had a lot of design runs for him. They've worked on his footwork as a passer. Now they're implementing him in sort of the total overall offense, and they want to maybe use him in some packages, running the ball during the season. So, uneven start, but you saw the deep ball. That's good for him. Yeah, that is not Chris Fowler. That obviously is Jeremy Fowler. So, uh, but yeah, look, Trey Lance, that's that's a, uh, a situation to monitor if you're a Cardinals fan because the 49ers, they're that team. I mean, they finished last in this division last year after going to the Super Bowl and leading the year before. So they are really the poster child for how fickle the NFL can be and, and how quickly fortunes can change. And They're pretty much at the top of everybody's list. You know, every, every year we get to August and, and every website that covers football has their their rankings of the eight teams that finished last the year before, who's most likely to finish first in their division this year, because it always seems to happen at least once around the league. And the 49ers are obviously at the top of that list, but and the Rams are a Super Bowl contender. The Seahawks never seem to go away, and the Cardinals should be on the way up as well. So if San Francisco gets caught up in being indecisive about whether or not they're going to play their rookie quarterback or they're going to play Jimmy Garoppolo, who's kind of like a lame duck quarterback, it's uh, that's you're hoping for that. You're hoping for that sort of indecision 
if you are a Cardinals fan. More from Jeremy Fowler, this time on Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. I'm told the Jaguars were very pleased with his poise overall throughout camp, and that showed on a key third down throw to Marvin Jones where he hung in the pocket for three, four seconds and delivered the ball on time. I'm told Jacksonville is downright giddy privately about what they have with Lawrence. They feel he's been as advertised as the number one overall pick. Now, Urban Meyer likes Gardner Minshew a great deal, so I know they're sort of selling a quarterback competition. But talking to people around the league, they expect Lawrence to be the guy because maybe Jacksonville simply wants him to earn the job based on perception. And uh, one more. This is from Stephen A. Which quarterback was he most impressed with? It wasn't either one of them. Believe it or not, for me, it was Zach Wilson for the New York Jets. Oh, I come mean, on! Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Because, you know, listen, big plays are big plays, and those things can happen, and quarterbacks deserve props for it. I'm not trying to proclaim that anybody had a bad weekend. Please don't get me wrong, but when I looked at Zach Wilson, uh, it was six to nine passes for just 63 yards, but he was throwing like five different receivers. He was efficient on third down. He was in control, and I think for me, Max, is really, really simple in this regard. I'm thinking about what you're going to be asked to do for the most part during a game and whether or not that's something you look smooth and comfortable and efficient doing more so than anything else. I'm not trying to say that it was a lights-out performance or, you know, you saw a spectacular play from him here or there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that what I saw from him is what I would expect from a starting quarterback on a Sunday afternoon. It wasn't anything heroic or anything like that. It was just somebody who looked smooth and comfortable and in complete control. And when I think about the seven first downs or so that he helped accumulate along with, you know, two field goals, uh, his efficiency on third down, the intermediate throws that he was putting out, that he was throwing out there. Those are the kind of things I take away when I'm looking at you and I'm saying, okay, if by some happenstance you ended up starting week one, you know, can you do those things and can you do those things efficiently? And that's all I mean by that. Yeah, I'm rooting against Zach Wilson. It's got nothing to do with Zach Wilson. I just, I'm not ready to live in a world where the Jets are good. And I understand we're a little ways away from that, even if Zach Wilson is impressive. But I'm just not, I'm just not ready for it. I have too many Jets fan friends, and I, I'm not ready for them to be, I'm not ready for them to be happy. I'm not, I, I'm, I, basically what I'm saying is I don't want my Jets fan friends to be happy. That's, that's, in, in a roundabout way, that's where I got. That's why I'm rooting against Zach Wilson. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. Seems like a good guy. But I don't want him to step in and be, I don't want him to be the best quarterback from this class. How's that? Because Jets fans were just so adamant all season and so proud of themselves that they wanted their team to tank and lose to get Trevor Lawrence. And then they won that game and they're like, oh, whatever, Justin Fields is better anyway. And then they got to the offseason and it was clear they were going to take Zach Wilson. They're like, oh, Zach Wilson's better than Justin Fields. Like, okay, <laughs> nothing changed in the offseason. So maybe it's just a comfort thing. I'm used to the Jets being horrible and I'd like them to continue to be horrible for at least one more season. All right, we come back. We're going to play a round of this or that. We're going to bring in Jeff Darge for that. That is uh, coming up next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Yeah, it is a good song. Jeff was selling me on the virtues of the, uh, the Price is Right theme. Just musically. Oh, yeah, especially that bass line underneath. It's uh. Yeah, I'd probably put it up there with the best all-time hard rock bass lines. I mean, whatever this other instrument is kind of takes away from it. I I don't think it takes takes away from it at all. I, I, I think it makes this song sound like... Um, I'm a big fan of 
music from when people just started realizing that computers could be used to make music. <laughs> and it all has these weird instruments that never really got used yes. after like 1965. Fair. It all sounds kind of like this. Uh, I love that kind of music. Well, you said this is a 10-hour music bed, so hopefully we don't play all of it. Uh, okay, we're going to play around with this or that. That's where we're playing game show music. This is a very simple game for two simple people. I'm going to ask Jeff a question. It's multiple choice. He's got two answers. He's got to pick one. And he's going to ask me the same thing. Back and forth. We each have four questions. We don't know what they are. It's not rehearsed. As you can probably already tell, and you'll <laughs> definitely be able to tell when we start the game. Uh, Jeff, I will go first. I'm going to keep it simple here with some sports. As a fan, would you rather watch preseason football or summer league basketball? Um, I mean, personally, I would say that I'm a bigger basketball fan than a football fan. Okay. So I'd probably say summer league basketball, but there's something more to the preseason when it comes to football. You know, it's not the most fun you'll have watching football, but it it still is more of a thing than the summer league is. Yeah, it's leading right into the season. Some of these guys are going to play. It Actually, I have to correct you, it might be the most fun you're going to have watching football if you are a Texans fan. Like, this is the peak of the season. But other than that, yes, you're right, I agree. I have one friend of mine who is a Texans fan who I just, I I won't even talk football with them because... Being a Cardinals fan feels like just bringing up football at all would be violence. Yeah, <laughs> especially take all of the Texans' best players, and now they are the trash at the bottom of the league. All right, so you're going summer league basketball, huh? Oh yeah. All yeah. right. Well, where, which would you pick there? Eh, probably preseason football, just because it does signify that football is like right around the corner and. I'm a big fan of the fall and the holidays, and and you know you get to October, every sport's going. See, I'm I'm the opposite when it comes. It makes football feel that much further away. Yeah, that's. I'm sorry, I'm distracted by the White Sox game. They're just showing a guy eating an ice cream sandwich for like three minutes, which makes me think this is not a very good baseball game between the Ace and the White Sox. Right yeah, now. and it's close. Why are they showing this guy? And he won't close his mouth. No, he's he's really taking all the uh, camera time he can get. All right, we got ridiculous before we were supposed to. What's uh, what's your question? Uh, if you were an auto racer, hmm. would you rather race a stock car or an Indy car? Mm. <sighs> Probably. Well, don't Indy cars go faster? Am I just way out of my league here on this one? I thought they went faster. I think they go faster. Well, na- stock cars have like a plate underneath yeah. that keep them from hitting a certain speed. Yeah, so I think the Indy cars go, but I also think they're more dangerous, too. Possibly. I'm I mean, f- traveling at that speed is not safe no matter <laughs> that's, what. That's true. You can't go from like, oh, I'm only doing 150 today, so I'm fine. I'm going to go Indy car. I'm going to go, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go Indy car. I think I would go with the stock car. Really? And I think I only just base that on, like, it feels a little bit more right as an American. Like, if I were German, I would be like, yeah, give me the IndyCar, please. Yeah. Was that, is that's what your voice would sound like if you were German, you think? Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> apparently I'm a German with a cold. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's, that's they. I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, uh, IndyCar, though, because I feel like there's more prestige. In the, well, you get a lot for, uh, for NASCAR, too. Okay. Um... Well, this this ties into the uh, the music theme. You're in a band, 
It's a hard rock band. You can play one of these two instruments, but you got to make it fit in the band. Tambourine or ukulele? Tambourine. Oh, no hesitation. No hesitation, tambourine, because the ukulele... I don't want to get too deep on a ridiculous question, but the ukulele is a very solo instrument. Okay. Whereas, like, through the 1960s, you could make an actual life just being a tambourine (laughs) player. I feel like if you were... If you were a German growing up in the 60s, you would have been in a tambourine band. Oh, yeah, just yeah. me and and four other little Germans yes. all playing tambourine. Playing tambourine. <laughs> the same tone, so it's just the... We, we'd be using your music as rejoin music on this show. All right, what do you got? Uh, staying with uh, music, would you rather be a famous musician or a famous movie star? Ooh. How famous of a movie star am I getting to pick my roles, or am I stuck like in roles that I don't necessarily want to be in? No, you're you're like B list. You could pick whatever movie you would want to be. You're not exactly Brad Pitt, but everyone knows who you are. Kind of deal. Okay, I do think it would be fun to be an actor. Like that would be a very fun career. But I don't think anything beats being musician. So I'm going to say musician. I think I would have more fun as a musician, but everyone would recognize you as an actor whereas as a musician only your fans would recognize that's you. better that's only the people that like you recognize you yeah but you know you can't really like oh don't you know who i am well no <laughs> i guess that that is the trade-off yeah but uh yeah it's a good point i'm still going musician um all right back to sports would you rather be a backup quarterback or a minor league baseball player Oh man, that's that's a really tough question. That's why I asked it. Some would say it's the most important question facing our nation today: backup quarterback or minor league baseball player. You'd have more fun as a minor league ball player, but I mean, just spending like five years in the NFL, you know, just kind of like jumping team to team, and then eventually you're out of it. That. That sounds a little cooler. Get paid better too. You get paid way significantly better, right? Yeah. yeah. But you might have to come in and play quarterback. I'm not guaranteeing you you never get to step in. Yeah, and then someone gets to turn my bones into dust. Yeah. So that's that's you got to weigh that. You got to weigh dust bones. I mean, at a certain price point, yeah, you could turn my my bones into dust. I'd rather be the uh <laughs> backup quarterback than a uh, minor league ball player that's uh yeah that's probably my answer too all right uh what else you got uh if you were a ball player would you rather be a pitcher or a positional player uh starting pitcher or reliever or does it matter um it doesn't matter of those two i'd rather be a starter than a reliever i think i'd rather be a position player starting pitcher has the like if you're tyler gilbert who just threw the no hitter You get to hang out as the guy that threw the no-hitter now for the next four days. You don't have to do anything other than just kind of get ready for your next start. But I think I would get bored not playing every day. So I'd rather just, I'd rather play. I'd rather play in the infield, too, where stuff's going on. I honestly, I think I would rather be a position player because I would hate the stress of being a starting pitcher. I don't know how starting pitchers manage the level of stress of, like, I'm going to throw this ball, and then if he hits it, I have to bank on one of eight guys to do their job, <laughs> sometimes spectacularly well. You're not a big delegator? I mean, 
Yeah, no, no? It, it depends. Okay. <laughs> but, like, being a starting pitcher would be, like, I, I think I would also worry about, like, my own stats too much. I, at least I do when I play the show. Like, someone will drop a ground ball, and I'll be more mad about my own ERA yeah. than I am about... Hate to see that, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, I, I, I just think I would be a huge locker room issue. I think I'm a good guy, but it, you put a baseball in my hands, I think I would become the worst. Well, the worst guy. All right, well, then we probably, yeah, you probably should stick with position player. Um, all right, my last one for you. Would you rather binge watch an entire TV series or eat at a buffet? Granted, buffets, I don't know we're going to have buffets for a while. But it's basically the food equivalent to binge watching a TV show. Yeah, I cannot do both at the same time. That's not an option. I would probably go ahead and go to a buffet. Sorry, I'm a little distracted. The guy pitching for the A's, his name is Puke. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I this has been a weird game. This A's yeah, and, I, and I White hate, Sox game. I hate to interrupt this or that for. For a baseball insane, game that's insane. currently uh, ongoing, but yes, the pitcher's name is Puke. I thought I should bring that up. I think I don't want to rain on your parade, but I think it's actually pronounced Puck. I mean, but that's open let's to interpretation. Let, you can't hear the game. I mean, yeah, they probably pronounce it Puck because that's nicer. But like, you can't trick me. That that his name's Puke. You've, you've seen right through. Uh, do you have another one? I might. Uh, I'll ask it anyways. Okay. Uh, barbecue wings or buffalo wings? A buffalo. But don't even have to think. Yeah, not even. I do like barbecue. I don't want this misconception out there. But I'm more of like a barbecue, like ribs guy, barbecue chicken, even brisket, pulled pork, all in on barbecue. But if you're putting wings in front of me, switch over to buffalo. I'm the exact same, but the opposite in the sense that like I don't want it to seem like I don't like buffalo sauce on close to anything. I like buffalo sauce, but when it comes to wings. Hands down, I'd rather taste the meat than the heat. I like the rhyming. I'm still trying to make sense of you saying I'm the exact same but the opposite. I think that just broke my brain, but that's okay because we're going to break anyway. We'll come back and wrap up the show next. Get back into Cardinals, what we saw from Game 1 of the preseason and what it potentially means for Game 2 of the preseason. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. All right, final segment of the show. I want to get back into Cardinals because we will not have a show tomorrow. D-backs and Phillies coverage will begin tomorrow at 6 o'clock. So this is really our last chance to talk extensively about what we saw in Game 1 of the preseason because we're not going to come on here on Thursday and talk about it because we'll be looking ahead to Game 2 of the preseason against the Kansas City Chiefs. Cliff Kingsbury was actually asked about that. Are you, uh, are you basing what you're going to do in terms of who you're going to play at all on what Andy Reid's going to do with his guys. It doesn't. No, we're going to um, do what we think is best for our team and kind of go from there. Now, at the quarterback position, Kyler Murray didn't play. We talked about that. Colt McCoy did and, and played you know pretty well. It's Everything's limited in the preseason, but he went 6-7, threw for 69 yards. Looked like he had decent chemistry with a couple of the receivers. That, that toss to Christian Kirk in the first half, was that was really nice. It was a great catch, too, but uh, because Kirk kind of had one hand, if you remember, sort of being pulled behind him by the defender. But McCoy threw it so well, 
that he was able to just reach out and casually catch it with one hand as he was going down the sidelines. We saw a lot of Rondale Moore with uh, with Colt McCoy. It was good to see McCoy out there. It was good to see Strevler out there too. And this is where I, it comes back to the whole Kyler Murray thing. He doesn't need the reps as much as the guys behind him need the reps. Now, I still don't really understand what they're doing with Chris Strevler. I can't imagine they're ever going to dress three quarterbacks on game day unless they have a very specific plan for how they're going to use Strevler. But, you know, active players, those those roster spots on game day, those are those are, are very precious. You don't you don't just okay, we're going to start Kyler Murray, but we're also going to have McCoy, and then we're also going to have Strevler like for three plays, or maybe not even three plays. But either way, Strevler got in there, went 12 of 24 for 107 yards, also ran for 55 yards. In fact, he was the Cardinals' leading rusher. Eno Benjamin was second with 50 yards. Uh, back to Kyler Murray, though. Cliff Kingsbury was asked about Kyler potentially taking another step forward this year in terms of leadership. I, I think those type of things, if you try to force them, it, it usually doesn't work out. I mean, it's got to be authentic and organic and... Um... You know, he feels like this is his team now, and that's that's important. And um, got to just keep working, working on all those things. I mean, that's what a quarterback does. You continue to evolve each year and try to get better in all areas. Okay, so that's Kyler. Now let's go to Strevler in case we do end up seeing him this year. Cliff was asked where Strevler has improved the most. I'd say understanding protections. Um, Colt's been great with him in that room and uh, those guys working together to try and master that side of things. Colt's really, really good at protections, getting us into the right protections, and um, Chris has come a long way in that area. The other thing with Strevler, and we were all pretty critical of him after that loss to the Rams, he didn't play well. Uh, and it was his first NFL action, and that's the thing. Like that, that comes that's comes with the territory. You want to be in the NFL. You want to be that backup quarterback that Jeff just chose to be over being a minor leaguer. Backup quarterback sometimes gets thrown in there. You're going to get criticized. I don't think anybody blames Chris Strevler. He had never played quarterback in an NFL game before, and he had to step in with the season on the line. So Cliff was asked, did you have to say anything to him to help him get over the way the season ended? No, he, he stepped in and was ready to compete. Uh, didn't work out for us, had some tough breaks, but uh, he was definitely a game. And uh, one more on Strevler, just how he's grown. That was his first preseason game ever, so um, the more he can get live reps against live NFL defense, the better I think he'll be. He, he works really hard at it. It's come a long way in a short time, and um, you saw his competitiveness and you know had, had a scrappy finish there to find a way to, to win the game. So um, we, we like what we've seen. I think he'll just get better and better with more time on task. Now I want to stick with the quarterback position here and go to Colt McCoy, who is the second-string quarterback right now. So it is possible we may see him have to play a little bit this season just because, look, 17-game season now instead of 16. And guys get hurt in the NFL. Hopefully, I mean, if your starting quarterback gets hurt for a while, you're not going anywhere. Starting quarterback misses a game or two, and your your backup is is capable, and he comes in and gives you a chance to win, you know, one or two or three games. Then you should be able to hang around. And so when Colt McCoy is throwing a pass to Rondale Moore, even though it's just preseason, that means something. And Colt McCoy was asked about the rookie receiver. Great, great. Rondell's uh, works really hard. Um, he's a fun target to throw to. He gets better every day. Every practice, he gets a little bit better. He's finding his comfort zone. Um, he's he's got some good good game speed. It was fun fun to be out there with him. But the other thing, and the more important thing, hopefully, that Colt McCoy brings to this team, because again, I don't want to see him really playing. I want to see Kyler Murray taking every snap this year. 
But uh, is that sort of veteran presence that he can bring that Kyler Murray has never really had? I know Brett Hundley had been in the league for a little bit, but, um, you know, Kyler didn't he had Chris Strebler essentially behind him last year. Strebler had no experience. Uh, he's got Colt McCoy now, and Colt was asked about what he and Kyler talk about. They were great. You know, and some of our best conversations tonight were when Strev was playing. As we were watching the offense, what would I have done there? You know, the Cowboys brought a lot of pressure. They showed cover zero a bunch of times. Like, what, what are my answers? What are my checks? Um, Strebler can just take the snap and just go that way, and nobody can catch him. You know, I'm not sure I can do that. So just always, you know, it was this was a great night of, of football situationally. Um, you go into these preseason games and you don't know what you're going to get. Like, I first play of the game, I don't know what they're going to play. We didn't break them down. Uh, so you really have to truly play what you see, play by your rules from up front with the offensive line to the receivers to knowing the depths of routes, knowing if it converts or not. Uh, so for me, it was a very good start to, to see our plays and some of the things that I haven't done before against different looks and coverages that I didn't know was coming and good conversations with Kyler on the side. And I thought, I thought overall, you know, again, I, I want to put the ball in the end zone on a long drive like that. Um, we settled for a field goal, but um, I, th- I think it was a good start. Yeah, look, Colt McCoy is not the quarterback at the NFL level that Kyler Murray is. A lot of players aren't. Kyler can still get better, though. If if this, if what we saw last season from Kyler Murray was what we see the rest of his career, like he'll be fine. He'll be a starter in the league for however long he wants to play, unless he gets hurt. But he's not number one overall pick. Fine, and Kyler would tell you that too. Like he fully intends to get better. So again, Colt McCoy is not that player, but Colt McCoy's been in the league since 2010. He's played in 43 games, but he's also just been around the NFL game for. Over a decade, there is stuff he can bring to the table to help Kyler Murray develop. And that, like I said, is not really something Kyler has had in his very short NFL career. So I don't want to see Colt on the field on Sundays, but he could be he could bring a lot to the table for this team potentially. All right, it's going to do it for us. Thanks to Jeff Darge behind the glass. Kellen Olson for joining us as well. I'm Luke Lipinski. It's been the rundown on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.